If you're seeking to expand your business and maintain its resilience, FM Global is your ideal property insurance partner. Backed by more than 180 years of engineering expertise and scientific research, we offer cutting-edge solutions to safeguard your business today, ensuring your prosperity tomorrow. Today's deep dive into Falcon and Winter Soldier is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. Head on over to Cufflinks.com slash DVR for all your men's apparel needs, baby. They've got cufflinks. They've got tie bars. They've got pins. They've got ties, socks, all the awesome stuff that you need to look good when you step out your door in the morning or when you turn on that computer and you're on Zoom. Because let's face it, people, you still got to look good. Come on, enough with the bedhead. We're a year in, the light is at the end of the tunnel. We got to start thinking about the future, people. Looking good out there in public. So head on over to cufflinks.com now. Use code DVR20 and save 20% off your order, no minimum. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Welcome to One Mike and Daily DVR's Deep Dive into the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Today we're going to be talking about Season 1, Episode 3, entitled Power Broker. Directed again by Kari Skogland, but this time written by Derek Kolstadt, who is actually the writer of the film Nobody, which is in the theaters right now, uh, with Bob Odenkirk, Better Call Saul, best show on TV. And he also wrote John Wick. So I think you can see a little bit of that John Wickiness happening. Uh, Whether you are watching on YouTube or listening to the podcast, please do leave a like, subscribe, and write us a review. Also, check out Mike's Instant Reaction, which we're going to talk about a little bit on the One Mike channel. Hit us back with feedback at DVRpodcast.com. Comment on this video at One Mike or join the Daily DVR Facebook group or on Twigger, a Twigger, Twitter as well. Um, we're going to be giving away our uh, our prize today, our Avengers pin. But before I do that, my name is Axel. We've got Mike, and we've also got Andy here. So why don't you guys say hello, Mike? How you doing? I'm good, man. Ready to talk about what I thought was a pretty solid uh, episode. Yeah, definitely. Andy, welcome to the show. How you doing, pal, out there in Minnesota? Well, thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, I'm excited to talk about this episode, too. I've been loving the season so far, and... It's going to be fun to talk about. Nice. It's a pleasure you, to have you. Axel, did you say Minnesota like Jesse Ventura on purpose? Yes, of course I did. Okay. Minnesota. Cool, just checking. That's my, that's my impersonation. Okay. That was really more, more so from Fargo. Oh, okay. Well, it sounded Fargo. like Jesse Ventura. That's, that's where it comes from. <laughs> um, well, let's see. First off, I did want to get to some feedback stuff because before the podcast started... I did put everybody's name in a hat. I'm not going to do it here because I've tried doing that before and I'm always like holding things like this. Um, But I did. I do already know who the winner is of this Avengers pin. And uh, first, though, I want to hear from their actual feedback. And first up, we actually had our good friend Glenn, Glenn Ewing on the Twitter wanted to fill us in that. On last week's episode, I had mentioned that Isaiah Bradley had either a son or a grandson who answered the door, and that 
uh, grandson has been um, identified for us by Glenn, and he is actually part of something much bigger. And I don't know, Mike, did you get to see Glenn's feedback about the Young Avengers? Uh, no, I didn't see that. Okay. I saw uh, someone else told us uh, as well about the, the grandson, yes. yep. but I, I didn't see the... Uh, I didn't see Glenn's feedback. Where was that at? Yes, Forty One Savage, which happens to be Delvin Cox. Oh, that was Delvin, yeah. Who's going to be on the show next week? Um, yeah, he later, his grandson. Now, you know, I don't want to say spoilers, but you know, I don't know. This is in the comics, and as we know, everything is always like a remix, so we don't know that this is what's going to happen in in the show though Glenn had some other information that perhaps they are working on like a young Avengers project. But later on, his um, grandson does become a superhero named Patriot. So that's kind of a cool, a cool nod there. And you'd think why else would they have him answer the door? You know, <laughs> makes sense, right? Do you know much about that, Andy? Are you are you up on the uh, the comics or what's going on well, with the my, Young Avengers? Uh, like the actual MCU and any any like movie comic book things, I am very well steeped in, in DC or Marvel. It doesn't matter or X Men, Marvel, whatever the things are. But the actual comic book stuff, like the source origin, I know enough to be dangerous, and that's about it. I never never really grew up with comic books growing up. It just wasn't something that my parents ever brought around. So. A lot of this stuff, like even some of the things that show up in this episode that we're going to talk about, I've heard about. Right. Had to, I'll do a little light Googling after I watch the episode usually to kind of fill in, but most of it's a surprise to me when I hear it. So I kind of enjoy it that way. So Just a little light Googling. Yeah, I like that, I like <laughs> that's, that term. That's, well, you can get dangerous real quick and find out way too much stuff you don't want to yeah. know. So I'm very careful about what, where I look and that kind of thing. It's I've actually learned more in the last probably six months now that my son is getting into comic books. So he's getting all these little like Marvel five minute stories they're called that are for like five and six year old kids. Yeah. And it's all the, it's like their origin story is dumbed down. So I've actually learned a lot more from his five year old books than I have from a lot of other stuff. So that's awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you see, it's kind of funny too. And I, I mean, that's an interesting point because they do try to be, there's so many different properties, right? Whether it's the kids stuff, right? The MCU stuff, the comic book stuff where they have to try to kind of maintain a certain story. Um, and they do remix everything. So I think knowing about the comics is fun and you can, and especially like when it comes to this, as, as uh, Glenn filled us in on, there is a whole plan to do the young Avengers that uh, Kevin Feige has spoken about. Um, and, uh, you know, I can actually, I have, I retweeted it on my own and I'll include a link to what Glenn uh, provided for us uh, on Twitter in the show notes. Um, but even with that stuff, a lot of times, you know, they announce stuff and it's still in flux, you know, and things change. And once it happens, it's different. So it is cool to know that that's who this kid is and there's a reason why he's there and they may have some plans right now for him, how it's going to affect the rest of this series. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to show up again at the end. I mean, it would be kind of cool. I would be down for it. 
Well, I, I think I read an interview recently with Feige where he said that, especially in their earlier ones, and he said they still do it where they drop a lot of little things in as little threads and they may not ever go back to them, but they have that hook there. So if they decide they want to, then they can. Kind of mm-hmm. like um, in the first Spider-Man movie, Donald Glover had the bit role and he becomes a major character in the in the comic books from what I know, but they haven't really gone back to that bit at all. I think if that makes sense, where they put a lot of little things in and they may or may not come back to some yeah. of them, so... Yeah. Well, that's kind of what mm-hmm. makes it. I think that's I to me, that's what has in many respects saves Marvel from being such a made by committee affair is that they and that was really illustrated by that interview I listened to with Malcolm Spellman, actually a couple different ones and that I read where he explains how. They gave him a he he was really surprised by the amount of freedom that he got from Marvel because they wanted to make it more fun. And I wonder, in a sense, if also, you know, they've been doing it so long, you know, you learn how to deal dealing with directors and their vision and their ideas and all the people involved is an art within itself, you know, and yeah, and having, I think one person at the head for so long through so many films really gives them the opportunity to break out and do something like this where, Hey, there's the kid, we've got this plan, but let's see how it works out and how people can fit in. And if anything, that sounds like great TV stuff too, right? Because at some point, Marvel has to move these shows into different genres of kids, teens, because these are more like family or kind of across the board. And that brings forth another uh, piece of feedback we got from DJ Tim Hines. And I want to bring up this point. I'd like to hear your opinion on this, Mike, because like I said, part of the thing that got me back into a lot of this superhero stuff was you sharing a lot of stuff about watching it with your son. How would you describe this show? Is this a family show? Is this uh, an adult show, a late teen show? How would you describe this show, Falcon and Winter Soldier, to someone? Mm, I'd probably describe it as like a a mesh of like a buddy action comedy kind of deal and like a spy thriller. (laughs) It's actually very in line with the tone of the movies. Whereas like WandaVision was like very experimental almost. It felt like let's try something different and see what that looks like. This feels like the movies on a smaller scale. Uh, like, like it feels a lot like the movies. It's particularly this episode. Well, what do you think about though? Like I was like on the, uh, as far as the range of like adult family, PG 13, like what do you think around PG 13? Maybe PG 13 is? is probably where I'd put it. Yeah. That's what I was thinking too, because DJ Tim Hines, when I asked what it what about the scene from last week, when uh, the cop scene, his reply was kind of like, "Hey, it's a family show. They're trying to be more broad in their uh, in their like exploration of things," which I think is true to a certain extent. But I think they are at certain times trying to be a little bit more towards the older age of the PG 13. It's not always towards the 13. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Yeah. And I wouldn't, I, I I think calling it a family show is a pretty big stretch. Uh, I, 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 this isn't something that I would say, and it's not even like it's, I wouldn't call it a family show because it's too vulgar or it's too violent or anything like that. It's just, thematically like i can't see like 
a six-year-old getting into this like oh man this is totally good like i could see kids being bored out of their minds watching this yeah. so like that's kind of why i don't i wouldn't call it a family show just because it, it it's not one of those things where i feel like like a pixar movie where everybody can everybody can sit around the television and watch it and get something from it i feel like kids aren't gonna be <laughs> kids aren't gonna get too much out of this especially when uh like this week for instance there wasn't like a uh falcon flying through the sky in between mountains action scene it was like really just like hand-to-hand combat stuff in this one and shooting mm-hmm. so yeah I, I don't know i think family is a family show is a stretch honestly yeah, yeah i agree what do you think ando yeah i i agree with that i mean the, the the themes for one thing are a lot i mean government conspiracies and all this and the repatriation, or the what is what was it called? Yeah, repatriation council. That kids aren't going to understand. That's going to go way over their heads. And then, not to mention that, like the the violence is. I mean, it's like a John Wick light on this, really. Because I mean, yeah. at one point, Bucky impales a guy with a metal pipe in his, his shoulder <laughs> and his headshots. And I'm like, Luke isn't right. My son isn't ready to watch this for another eight or nine years. Okay. I mean, <laughs> all right. I guarantee right. he sees the picture all the time. He's like, let's watch that. I'm like, no, we're not watching that. Yes. <laughs> so, I mean, it's vi- the violence. I'm not, I, I'm that's not a super good point. concerned about that stuff, but it yeah. seems way more PG 13 and above to me. Yeah. That's a good point. And though I guess because I had watched Godzilla last night and saw him crush everything, I get, I get, you know, getting impaled. And that's true. There is a, a fair amount of violence. And especially um, Sharon Carter, she did some. She messed up a bunch of people in this episode with some hand to hand MMA type, not as violent as that, but type stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's a good point too, the violence level. So, all right. So our judgment is DJ Tim Hines, you are wrong. <laughs> it is not a family show. Uh, we love you though, T- DJ Tim Hines. And by the way, did you all notice that DJ Tim Hines was the DJ in the club at Madripoor? On the episode, that <laughs> I was didn't, him. I missed that. Yeah, that, expl- that explains uh, yep. that explains Zemo's fist pump, fist bump there, Ex- fist pump. Yeah, dude, it was Jersey Shore <laughs> style, dude. Yeah, I gave him that note. DJ and I were on the set, and I was like, "Give us some Jersey Shore," and I had to kind of go over with him how you do it because mm-hmm. when you do the fist pump, what it is is it's not just a pump; it you're really going around. Do you see mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do here? It's going. Oh, yeah. It's around. And then every once in a while, you give it a good, uh, you see what I'm saying? So I don't know if everybody could see that so well on the, on the (laughs) zoom, but it's, yeah, there it is. There it's good. Okay. Uh, moving on. We had some good, um, feedback from Gareth, our friend Gareth in the UK, a brilliant dude, great person. Hope the family is doing well, Gareth. I'm having fun with the show, but just as Carly was sounding somewhat sympathetic, like with Killmonger, you could understand his point of view. She blows up a bunch of innocent tied up security folk. Even her cohort looked shocked. She'd be more intriguing as an antagonist if she didn't go total bad girl. Also, Alan Seppenwall said something that is probably fair with how I rate this at the moment, this show. He put it on par with the stronger end of the Netflix Marvel shows. We've not had anything on a level with the one-take Daredevil prison fight, but I live in hope. All right. Thank you, Gareth. Let's start out talking about, um, we haven't really talked too much about the episode, but the car with Carly killing those security guards, let's get into that a little bit because 
really this episode was Bucky and Sam and Zemo's adventure. A little bit of Carly, a very little bit of John Walker and Lamar, right? That's pretty much yep. the whole episode. So we can talk about the Carly stuff. Um, what's and, oh, and you're Sharon too. you're right. That's Sharon too, which is part. She had her own one little little by herself. But you're, that's a good point, though, Andy, because that is kind of a separate thread to the episode. Um, for this Kari stuff, what was your take on this, Mike? Um, it, it's funny that, that Gareth said that because when I was watching it the first time and I was taking notes, um, I was I put something in my notes, something to the effect of looks like I'm pretty right about the flag smashers kind of being good guys. And then, when, and then, and then, and then when that scene happened, I put like an ellipsis and then put, or maybe not, <laughs> but um, I do think though, that I don't think anything changes uh, regarding the flag smashers and how they're supposed to be perceived. Cause I, he, you know, he made a good comparison with Killmonger and I think that comparison is still apt. They, they, you know, she's still, it seems to me still trying to do something good. And it's one of those things where it's like, you have the right goals, you have the right purpose, but you go about it the wrong way. And that's kind of like, that's kind of what Killmonger was doing, but Killmonger was doing it to an even farther degree. So like, I don't even think an argument can be made for uh, a Killmonger being a quote unquote good guy or trying to do good. Like, I don't think you can make that argument. He's too far gone. Same for Thanos. I think you could still kind of make that argument for Carly, just that she's uh, currently, as of now, uh, doing some stuff that you you can't really justify. But uh, I, I don't think she's gone as far as Killmonger yet, and I think it's still one of those things where she can be she can be redeemed. Uh, you know, Killmonger couldn't, but she could be redeemed. Yeah. So um, I thought I did find that to be an interesting uh, turn for her character just because of the fact that one we hadn't obviously hadn't seen any seen the, any of them do anything to that of that sort and then also like you said the fact that uh the guy that she was with was kind of looking like yo what the fuck there was people in there yeah. you know so so that shows that she's almost kind of going rogue which is i guess the fact if carly is going rogue then that further solidifies the theory that the flag smashers are trying to do good that the group as a whole is like hey wait a minute you're going too far now Good so, point. Good yeah, point. Yeah, that's how I how I felt about that. That's a strong point there, Mike. Yeah, his reaction kind of frames the group's intent. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think, Andy? I I'm kind of right with Mike on that. I mean, I I think they showed she's turned a corner that you don't really come back from, and she might not be to the level Killmonger is yet, but I think she's on that path, and I I'm guessing her followers are have either are just starting to figure it out or haven't figured it out yet. The, the, the they, her followers might be in it for the right reasons, but I don't know if she is, mm. or if she. I shouldn't say that. I think she is in it for the right reasons, but she doesn't know the right way to the right way to um, fix the problems that she's trying to fix. Yeah, I. You know, I'm interested as to whether it was strictly motivated by the death of um, the woman who seemed to be. Her, I, I, I think it was her mom. Um, her name was I have it in my notes here. Dari, I think it was. Uh, I think blah, I have blah, it in my blah. notes too. Yeah, oh, Danya Madani. Thank you, Danya Madani. Right, yeah. who they 
we find out her name because um, John and Lamar talk about it and say that she died and she had visited her and that was like her last known like uh appearance or whatnot but that's when we first see carly right she visits with her she then she has a conversation with the dude outside of the building that she's later gonna blow up this is the same building that mike you referenced has an x looking like Mm x-men on in front of it right Mm-hmm. Um, we yep. also have the Madripoor connection, which we'll get to later, but they have a conversation where they talk about, can you believe we're here? We grew up, you know, we kind of like, what choices did we have? Then the guy says, well, I guess I made mo- mo- I chose more money with mob security at Madripoor. So he was mob security in Madripoor. She says that she had nothing to return to after the blip. So she went to Madripoor. Obviously, they met there, came up with the plan to steal the serum. So they were working for the power broker, probably pre-stealing the serum from him and Nagel, right? But they also talk about the fact that they want to help everybody and help all the kids that are displaced and like them, right? So they do have a good intent, like you're saying, Mike. But then when the woman dies, she seems to have a kind of change of heart. So what I'm thinking is, is is it two things to me? Did she have this change, A, because her mom slash mentor or whoever died, right? And now she's like, this shit is serious, right? Or... Is it the serum? Because remember how Nagel mm. talks about how he made the serum better. And it's now it doesn't change you like it changed Steve or Bucky. It doesn't yeah. make you into some huge monster. You can look like a normal person and have this super soldier abilities. Is But did it also do something to her mind where it's going to make her rage out in some ways. Hmm. So that's my, that's an interesting question. Um, I I assumed it was, I assumed that she was kind of lashing out after the death of this mom slash mentor or mom or mentor. Um, But I like the idea that the serum could be doing it because um, uh, we know that the, the new versions of the serum was made out of uh, Isaiah's blood and I don't know about you guys. He seemed a bit cranky to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's what, right? That's interesting because he said I was able point. to isolate the serum in his blood, right? So, Mike, that's a fucking awesome idea that this is like the fly type shit or something, whereas they are Isaiah super soldiers. They're not original super soldiers. So they're mm-hmm. almost, are they in a sense clones of isaiah's generational grief and what happened to him do you see what i'm i think it we could be getting into some watchmen shit woke man yeah see (laughs) but that's kind of a cool idea it's watchmen like stuff too right like where the Mm -hmm. dna has this and then 
but also i think in his in his, in his uh case the direct experience of being in prison for what did he say like 30 years or something like that um yep. that's an interesting idea so yeah gareth that was kind of shocking but i think um there there might be more to it you know i think that they're playing with that so i think we've got something good there as far as the um this being on par with the daredevil I have never, I didn't watch, did I think you watched, Andy, did you watch Daredevil on Netflix? Uh, I've seen some of it. I, I know the the hallway fight he's referring to. I've seen that because that was pretty pretty famous when it came out, but I didn't stick with it. It yeah, just I, wasn't, I don't know. Personally, I think that from what I've seen of the Marvel Netflix stuff, I think the Marvel MCU stuff they're doing is on a much higher level. I, that's just my, from what I've seen of the Netflix stuff anyways. Yeah, um, I, I kind of agree with that. I've seen I've seen all three seasons of Daredevil, and I, I think the first season of Daredevil is the best singular season of any of those shows. Uh, the first season was was pretty kick ass, but um, I, I I'm with Andy. I, I think this is a higher caliber uh, of show than what was on the Netflix stuff. I I I, I wouldn't necessarily agree that it's on par with. Uh, with the Netflix shows, uh, it, if we're going to say if it is it on par with the best stuff, uh, which I would put Daredevil season one is probably the best of the Marvel Netflix shows. And I, I think this is well, it, it's tough to judge, too, because that, that shit was like 13 episodes or some shit. And we've seen like three of this. Yeah, so it's kind of yeah. tough to compare. But uh, I, I think it, at least on a on a cinematic level, like this is this is like cinema on television whereas like this daredevil was very very grounded like that was like like talk about shrinking down until like that's like in a neighborhood (laughs) where that whole thing takes place not even like in in a city if that that was hell's kitchen that was just a neighborhood so like it's a little different but i i get where he's coming from though for sure yeah, I think it's it's hard to make those kind of comparisons because so much of what this show is a part of is the meshing with the films because it's made by the film unit, right? So mm-hmm. that it makes it hard to judge when the the look I watched the I watched a bunch of the Netflix stuff. I think I watched the first season of the one with the who was the woman who was in the B in apartment 13? Oh, Jessica Jones. Yeah. Jessica Jones. Okay. Cause I remember her when she was on that sitcom, that was a crazy yeah. show. She was also by the way. pretty good on breaking bad. Axel. Yes. Oh, you're right. Thank you, Andy. She's been in a lot of stuff, man. Very good actress. Um, but it just feels so different. Um, but I, I see what Gareth is getting at from maybe that intensity, which is, I think the Netflix shows were a bit more adult, you know, or yes. they, they yes. you know, they had a more, the violence was more visceral, the cursing, se- mm-hmm. sexual situations, blah, blah, blah. So that I can see where Gareth's coming from. Um, on, the on, other thing it's hard to, I was going to say, the other thing it's hard to uh, compare is that. The MCU has got 10 years of history with other characters and other storylines they can right. reference, and they've done it in this episode. Those Netflix ones were building from scratch. Yeah. So it's really hard to it's hard to compare them either way, yeah. I think. But That's true, Andy. It's, the, the, it's not just the film unit. It's the writing, too, where they can, they can weave it into the overall story so seamlessly. 
it is it's a direct pickup right so it's it, the comparison is almost unfair um but i can see you have to kind of make it um but you know that's that's the way you got to go when you when you in a couple of years people won't even remember the netflix films or they'll have already been made into part of the multiverse right <laughs> and you'll see like that's what i was going to say didn't isn't the guy that played daredevil been cast in one of the upcoming projects i don't know yeah. there's so supposedly, many supposedly yeah, yeah he's supposed to be in the next yeah. spider-man there's so many rumors and like and i think that that's cool too because one of the fun things is to see if in a future Disney MCU TV show, will they attempt to make it look production wise like a Netflix show <laughs> because they're including that character, right? I, I bet you they will. They're uh. smart like that, man. It's even like how Favreau tries to make the animals look like Star Wars animals. Like he doesn't make <laughs> them look too good on purpose in the Mandalorian. So it fits. I, I, they, I, I like that kind of thinking. Um, we had a quick feedback from Ralph Apple who said, it's great, Agent 13. And Ralph, by the way, has a great check out Invincipod.com because he's covering that cool new. And Mike is also covering it on one mic, Invincible. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. It's a, it's a fun show. Yeah, I really like that. Um, Ralph says it's great. Agent Thirteen needs to pick up some guns, though. What do you? What did you all think of? Uh, what was your Agent Thirteen impressions this episode, Mike? Oh, I just I love hand to hand combat stuff. Uh, it's it's kind of it's it's my jam in the in the Captain America movies in general. I kind of like that it's not all about big giant supervillains and and having to do all kinds of crazy shit. It's about like hand like hand to hand combat. Like my favorite uh, action sequence. And like all of the MCU is in Captain America Winter Soldier. And it's just a hand to hand fight between Cap and Bucky. But it's just yeah. so fucking cool. So like bringing in uh, Sharon and having her, you know, kind of I mean, she what she did. She did some shooting. But I mean, mostly it was kind of like, you know, the the shipyard scene pretty much. Right. Um, yep. I thought it was super cool. And I, I was I was actually a little surprised at how violent it was. Like, yeah. I was like, oh, OK, we're getting busy out here. All right. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah, I liked it. I, I, I what do you think, Andy? I'm exactly the same way. I, I thought she was great in this. I think this this episode again has shown the thing I love about these Marvel series so far is between her and then bringing back Zemo and Wanda and Vision from the first ones and Bucky and Sam. They are taking all of the characters in the movies that I thought were extremely underdeveloped, and they're making me care way more in a half an hour show or in a ten minute stretch here than I ever did seeing like seeing her in. Winter Soldier and Civil War, it was like, she's she's there, but she wasn't really that interesting. And mm-hmm. already, I think she's way more interesting than any of those movies did. And yeah. we've done it over, if all the series are going to be like this, I'm even excited for the Hawkeye TV show now, which I wasn't at all. <laughs> oh, so, I am very excited. I, yeah. we're gonna now have to she's the goddamn that, power man. broker. Yeah. Oh, I think she is too. That's, okay. When I heard your initial reaction, I thought the I was thinking the same thing. Like, I can't <laughs> wait to talk about that. Okay. Now I'm going to tell. I'll. I'll. Let's get to that quickly. Like, so why she's here? Who sent her there? Because I have a different idea. Um, but I have to say, her the actress' name is Emily Van Camp, right? And she first came on the scene in that ABC show Revenge. If anyone remembers, oh, yeah. which had a great first season and then went rah, 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 like every network yeah. show in the history of network shows. 
um, they're like, we got them. Now let's not write. Um, <laughs> let's take a vacation. Repeat the first season. Um, but first of all, anytime she's on the screen, I'm happy because I she kind of I get a little like goosebumps or glitter in my eyes because I think she's very pretty. <laughs> she's pretty. Um, but I really thought this was an interesting um kind of throw in and yeah i here i'm thinking okay the john wick guy wrote this let's see uh, we got bucky kicking ass in the bar but but really the real john wick of it was her kicking ass in the uh containers she even got in one of the fake knife throws that john wick does where they just throw their hand and they add the knife in with cgi later like you could totally tell she just like got up and went whoosh and then the guy went woo and you were like okay that was cool um and she she got messed up in the face too right like she was bleeding and it was kind of awesome and i enjoyed it and i'm gonna have to disagree with ralph on this one I'm glad she didn't have any guns because I like Mike said, the hand to hand shit was way cooler. And I'm always a fan of less guns, more fighting in movies. One of my favorite anytime I get an opportunity to talk about hand to hand combat in a film, I must talk about one of the craziest movies that has come out in the past 10 years and I gotta get I always get the name of it wrong. It's freaking uh Jean-Claude Van Damme. You know what I'm talking about, Andy? Um I always I talk so. about I haven't seen it. It's the uh oh man, here it go. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go down. But as I'm looking up this movie, um, and then I can talk a little bit about this crazy movie, um, I'm gonna say as far as who the power broker is. I do not think that it is uh, Agent 13 Carter. I think, as a matter of fact, that she was sent by John Walker and Lamar. That's why she is there. They mentioned early in the episode that they're going to remember when they go and they bust into um, the hideout where Bucky, where Carly was the week before, right? And they rough mm-hmm. up, they look like, it looks like a hacker enclave, <laughs> right? Yeah. And the guy's like spits in John Walker's face and he gets all mad. And then as they're walking out, he's, Lamar's like, what are we going to do? We've been everywhere. We can't find her. And he says, we've got to get in with whatever. He uses some kind of phrase, like we've got to get in deeper or something, Right. It's I think it's her. They're still tracking Sam and Bucky. They know that she wants to get her citizenship back and have her name cleared to come back into the US. So they enlisted her because she's at the bar in the very beginning of the episode. As soon as they walk in there, they walk up to the bar and she's at the end and she puts her hood there. Mm-hmm. So I don't That's think that. Go ahead. That's why I think she might be the power broker, though. Okay. Because okay. what happens immediately after you see that glimpse of her is when those big thugs come up and say, I got word on high. You're not supposed to be here. You're not welcome here. Mm-hmm. To me, that thinks she covered up and she texted somebody or told somebody and said, get your ass over there and go kick the, these guys out of here. 
And there's so many other different coincidences. Like she just happened to find that doctor all of a sudden. I mean, she, mm-hmm. she was mad when she, when Zemo killed the doctor. Why would yeah. she, why would she care that Zemo kills that doctor? She and she found, super, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go, go ahead, Andy. No, no, continue, continue. Oh, I was going to say, and she found uh, the doctor off camera. Like she yeah. leave, like she, yeah. like they go into the shipping, like, no, I'm sorry. They go uh, into the shipping container or something. And she walks off or, or I can't remember what it was, but she walks off and then comes back yep. like, oh, they were in the club or something. Uh, her little uh, apartment slash art studio. Yeah. She leaves and then comes back and is like, all right, I found them. <laughs> Like, and okay. she, yeah. she even mm. warned, she even tells Sam and Bucky to steer clear at one point. She's like, you guys need to just get out of here and steer clear out of here. Don't even do this anymore. I mean, she, and the way she was killing all the bounty hunters, that was pretty dang brutal. I mean, it's, mm. it's, she was actually giving me kind of, uh, um, I can't think of what the movie is. It's a James Bond movie, golden eye with Sean Bean as the villain. And he's a former colleague of James Bond. I don't know if you guys have seen this one. Yeah. And, he ends up getting killed or disappears in the first half of the movie. And you find out he actually was, he got so mad at the former people he was working with. He turned he against, to them. Go against them. And I just was yeah. getting those kind of bond villain vibe. Now, obviously not as goofy as bond is, but that kind of spy vibe thing going on. Okay. Okay. Um, you know what? There is also the point when she gets into the car at the very end and the woman opens the car door and she says, we've got a problem. And she's talking about yeah. Sam and Bucky. It seems like, um, our, you know, you guys may have convinced me she was there. And, and the other thing is this, the last time we saw her was, was, wasn't it the winter soldier movie? Like how, how long, how, when's the last time we saw her? I think, well, wasn't I, she in civil war? Yeah. She made a brief appearance in another one. It was yeah. probably civil war. Okay. But yeah, she was mostly in winter. Soldier. so she's literally, yeah. she's been there before from like, before the blip she's been there for like six seven years right well yeah so that's a long time i I, I think there's just so much evidence to support either her being the power broker or working uh closely with the power broker okay because like like andy mentioned the whole thing about being able to find that doctor and then when he mentioned that it reminded me that she found him off camera uh, the fact that she was the fact that she was even in Madripoor is obviously that can't be a coincidence. The fact that the bounty went out on them the instant that they killed that mm-hmm. uh, was what was her name Selby or or Selby. I'm sorry the instant Selby, yeah. that Selby was killed the bounty goes out on them. We don't even know who killed Selby and no one on screen raised that question. Like they like Selby died and they were like right. we gotta get the fuck out of here. So. And and, it, and you're right. And it, and we're the way that it's shot. Selby is killed. Then they all bust out. Then she takes someone else out. Then she appears. So mm-hmm. they're trying to communicate to you. Was she the one who took Selby out? Maybe, maybe not. But she doesn't make reference to it. Mm-hmm. And then they keep on going. So I can't. I You're right. I am digging the the spy intrigue that's going on here like where's she coming from but there's just something that's still i i just think the scenes with john and lamar where they keep on referencing someone on the inside that they know something and then there's a second scene with them later where they reference it again 
mm-hmm. they talk a little bit about Carly again. I think that she maybe we're both right and she's playing both sides and she's in with the power broker or is the power broker, but she's also been in communication with Lamar and John Walker and is using them, uh, using that information too. That would be definitely a spy type thing to happen in a show where she's well, like a is, dual agent. Oh, go ahead. Finish. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Is, is Carly also tied in with the power broker? Cause at the end there near the end of the episode, when the, she said, well, the power, the, her buddy says the power broker is coming after us. And she yeah. basically says, we don't have to worry about him. Well, she says the that broker. the power broker is not going to want to come after them. Now she thinks now that Nagel's dead, the power broker is going to want to work with them to get those last 20 vials yeah. that mm-hmm. they have. Yeah. She said something like yeah. he'll be salivating or he'll be something begging us mm-hmm. for this stuff. Yeah. You're right. So, I forgot about that line. Yeah. She, well, I do think that there's definitely, like I indicated before, Carly and her buddy lived in Madripoor and they were, I think that they were working for the power broker or maybe they were working for Nagel, right? One is security. Maybe Carly was like helping him out in the lab or doing something else, you know, and then they hatched this plan and stole the stuff. Um, for another reason, which is to create this flag smasher organization um, to help people. But that's interesting. Oh, hey, I remember the movie, and this is worth talking about on this show. Ladies okay. and gentlemen, if you love, and Mike, have you ever seen Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning? Uh, is that a sequel to the original one? This is a 2012 sequel. Okay, nope. <laughs> okay. It's yeah, got it was straight to video, I think, too, isn't it? Yes, it's got Jean Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren, but that is not the star. The star of the film is Scott Atkins, and Scott Atkins, you may know, appeared in. No, nobody, no taker, nobody knows Scott Atkins. He was in one of them, wasn't he? He was, he was, he was in Civil War and Winter Soldier. Civil he, War, okay. Yeah, he was, was one of the Soldier, he was yeah. one of the tough guys in 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 that movie, I believe. Maybe I got this wrong, but he's been in the MCU. I know. Um, oh wait, yeah, you I know think what? It is Winter Soldier. He, you know what? I'm wrong about this. He may have been one of Thanos's. Um, more humanoid like goons, but he's been in the MCU, but this guy is an amazing action hero star. I don't know why he didn't get bigger, but he's in a ton of shit. And I think he has a history in fighting. And this movie, if you love hand to hand combat in a movie, this is one of the greatest hand to hand combat, crazy action movies you will ever see in your life. Universal Soldier, Day of Reckoning, directed by John Hyams, who is Peter, the famous Peter Hyams' son. And it is a crazy weird sequel to the the um uh the series of Universal Soldier, but you don't need to know anything about Universal Soldier. You don't need to know shit. Because this movie just starts out. And it is the crazy, I watched this once at like two o'clock in the morning on Showtime or something, and I was blown the fuck away. 
This wow. has some of the greatest <laughs> hand-to-hand action scenes, and Scott Atkins is an amazing combatant. And Mike, you should like as soon as this podcast is over, find this movie and watch it because I know you love fighting, and you'll love this movie. And anybody listening. I'm so glad I got a chance to rave about it. All right, let's keep on moving on. Um, we had a lot of great feedback. I think that I think that was it for the feedback. Do you have any other feedback that you want to share with us, Mike? Did we get any on your videos or anything that you want to share? Um, I had something up, but it wasn't it wasn't anything like feedback for uh, for reading on the show. Like oh, okay. it was kind of like yeah, and like that video. I I agree with that thing you said. Oh, I like that. I agree. Okay. Well, you agree with Mike. Good job. We agree with that feedback then. (laughs) That's the first feedback I agree with today. Um, But um, Tarek had some uh, awesome feedback too. a patron and longtime listener and friend. What's up, buddy? And he responded to the first episode. We didn't get a chance to get into this. This is to Mike on Twitter. This is probably my favorite 50 minutes of the MCU thus far and felt just like the stuff that happens in between battles and big events in 80s, 90s comics, character work and word building, but presented via the medium of prestige television. And Mackie and Stan are superb. I just wanted to read that because I think we all agree with this, but I think that that was a beautiful way of writing that. Oh yeah, I, I liked that comment when I yep. when I saw it. Yeah, yeah. Tark is the man. Yeah. He knows what's up, and uh, he has a good knowledge of this stuff and enjoys it as well. And that's that's a great way to say it. This is prestige TV. They're rocking it out. Um, all right, let's do the giveaway. I already pulled it, so I'm just going to announce it. It's a very special person won this pin, and when I pulled this name, I was like. Come on. This is too perfect, ladies and gentlemen. Glenn is the winner. <laughs> Congrats, Glenn. Glenn won. <laughs> Glenn, you won this Avengers pin from cufflinks.com. I'm sending it out to you, buddy. Hit us <laughs> up on Twitter or hit me with an email. You're the man. You can wear this and take a picture of it, and we'll share it on Twitter, and I'll also frame it and put it up in my living room. <laughs> I'm not gonna do, I'm not going to do that part. But you won, Glenn, and thank you. And we got more stuff to give away. We got socks. We got a tie. We got awesome stuff that's going to be given away soon. So just give us your feedback. And that was great. I like the way we kind of talked about the show through some feedback. Yeah. We we covered a lot of it. Um, Let's see. Let's see if there is. Was there anything else that anybody else wanted to talk? We Gosh, we talked a, a good bit about carly and what we thought was going on we talked about agent 13 and what we thought was going on with her um and i'm I'm liking more and more the idea of an old school switcheroo where she's kind of working both sides um because i like her too and i hope that they have plans to 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 bring her back more often um, yeah i think it's i think it's mention- oh. oh no you go ahead andy sorry <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, if you finish that thought first, I was going to change subject. Oh, um, so I was going to say that another thing that I noticed about um, the power broker and that whole situation is that no one knows who this is. And they consistently refer 
to them as a man. Yes. He this, him that, yada, yada, yada. And I just think, uh, again, another thing to add onto the pile of it being Sharon, of reasons it could be Sharon, because it's like, oh, wouldn't that be cool to have not only a, a good guy turned bad guy, but like the person that they've been referring to as a man the whole time is actually a woman. Mm-hmm. Like I, I could see them doing something like that. Like I, yeah. I just, I, every time I think about it, I think of another reason why it's Sharon. The only thing that throws me off is... um fuck i can't I, my head is so full of the reasons that it's hurt i can't even remember the one reason i had that it wasn't <laughs> okay <laughs> okay i i i actually had that same thing written down in my notes here i totally agree with uh i think it's a giant misdirect because like yeah. when zemo talks about her to sam and bucky i wrote it down he said he only knows him by reputation mm-hmm. and it's it seems like it's an obvious misdirect to me, but yes, I might be wrong, but it just it's something about the way that they keep saying he and him, and it, it just seems too. I don't know. Maybe I watch too much TV. Yeah, that's okay. no, that's definitely what it is. I think I think your 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 average viewer, nine out of ten viewers, is not going to be making the connections that the three of us are making right now. <laughs> like, because it's just not. It's 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 one of those things that you pick up from watching so much stuff and seeing these sorts of mm-hmm. things unveiled that you could see the signs a mile away. Yeah. But they so we could still be wrong, us, though. but like just the fact that we're noticing these things, it, it, it is because we watch too much shit. <laughs> okay. I got another one for you though. I, Cause I told you, I think that I, I thought that Sharon was coming from a uh, new cap in Lamar. And my secondary theory on who the power broker is, is I come building up from last week and it's very tiny little bit of evidence, tiny, tiny, tiny bit of evidence that it is, um, what's the, I think the guy's name was Yoshi, the, the older Japanese gentleman oh, who, yeah. who, whose son was killed now yep. when, um, Zemo steals Bucky's little book. And he also, Mike, you were right. That's cap's book. You were that's right. Name, you said that last week, up, I think. It? The Japanese guy. He mentions the Japanese guy. That's the only uh, name he like mentions. Okay? So uh, why? Would that mean that Bucky would have had to have been living in Madripoor? Well, they don't. Maybe it's his son and he's not dead. And the reason why Zemo picked up on that name is because he recognized it. And he says, oh, your list of people you hurt when you were the Winter Soldier. Now, didn't Zemo have to track down everyone in the Winter Soldier program? So he knows everybody. So one of those names was that dude's son. So he wasn't there at the wrong place at the wrong time. He was actually the reason he was there. Yeah, we we still don't okay. know why he was there. And, and he is the power broker. Yeah. It's the old guy and the son are the power broker. And maybe he's not even in Madrip. You know, they say he's there. Sure. Okay, so that's my secondary theory. I like that. I like that theory a lot. Okay. I like that better than your uh, John and uh, Battlestar yeah. theory. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I don't right. call him whatever his name is. I call him Battlestar just because I hate Battlestar. that fucking name. I, I really just, do. <laughs> I just thought it was funny when Sam said, "We're going to need a little bit more than Lamar." <laughs> yeah. Lamar Hoskins, because Hoskins is a fun name because you kind of like the Hoskisk. Like that is kind of hard to say. Um, all right, let's talk about Madripoor. A lot of people have pointed out this is a, plays a large part in the X Men universe, 
and is a island where a lot of shit went down, but also Wolverine lived there for a certain period of time. And actually the bar that Wolverine hung out at, and he was actually called something different. I can't, cause I remember reading this in the comics and then I reread it, but he had like an eye patch or something. He was like eye patch Wolverine. He had a different name, but the bar that he goes to, which I think was called like the white princess or something. The princess bar. Princess something. The the princess bar, right. Princess bar, I think that's what I I wrote down here. They Mm -hmm. show it really quickly. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the entrance and coming in and like they're on this bridge and you see this like all this like, you know, this city lit up. I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it's hard to pull off like dens of inequity like kind of like bad guy places and they did a good thing which they didn't go overboard it wasn't like every time they cut somebody was slapping somebody or they were sniffing cocaine or they you know what i mean or like there were all these like scantily clad women you know they didn't go that direction so for Mm -hmm. me it remained pretty cool what what did you Andy? What did you think? Because Mike, you talked about liking it a lot in your intro, yeah. in your reaction video. What did you think, I Andy? It. I I just I love the whole thing because it seemed. I mean, you said even though it was definitely had John Wick feel to it, or yeah. I mean, or some other future city things. I loved it. It was so different than most of what we've seen in the MCU, and it's it was one of those times where like the city is an actual character, which I always love that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like in Blade Runner or something like that, where the city of LA is the character. I, this felt like an actual character. Like it's a this town, it's or this country is a big thing in all. It's I just I I don't have a lot to say about it because I don't I don't know much of the X Men comics. I, I say I knew the Wolverine thing and like what you had said on my light googling that I was talking about before. But I I just I love the city. I love the whole vibe. I love the the one end is ultra rich, the other end is ultra poor and lawless and. I just yeah. I love the whole thing. High like, town I, I and low town. More time here. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty direct. High town and low town, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> rich ass motherfuckers and poor folk. Where? Which <laughs> one? Which one are you going to? Yeah, it wasn't subtle, but I was fine with that. Yeah, me too. That's yeah. what I mean. Is like they were able to pull off a cliche, in a sense, and that's kind of difficult. And at, when it when they first got there. I thought it was very smart to put them on that bridge because it gave you this feeling that you were entering like a Wakanda, like a special Marvel place. Like that was almost like, like it the, gave it a good scope. I thought, yeah. And it was almost like the, it was like the reverse of the rainbow bridge, right? That Thor has, <laughs> yeah. you know what I'm saying? It was kind of like the dark, it was like, like modern and cold. It was, I don't know. I just thought they did a pretty decent, cool job. And then the whole bar scenes and, you know, I mean, some of it came off. It could have went cheesy and you could, I could see someone saying it was a little cheesy, but I thought that it, it came off pretty well. And also adding the fun and the banter to it lightens the mood. So it doesn't turn into some Zack Snyder thing where they're taking themselves so seriously. You know what I mean? That you're like, come on, dude, we get it already. You know, it was kind of fun. So you had to get your Zack Snyder dig in there, didn't you? I had to, of course. (laughs) Fuck that dude. Except I can't wait for that zombie movie. He's going to do, dude. I love it. I love zombies. (laughs) Yeah. That one does look cool. That looks cool. What, uh, what, 
Can you believe this motherfucker had the gall (laughs) to make Justice League in black and white as if it wasn't fucking gray enough already? What the fuck's wrong with him? That was hilarious. That was I think that was almost like a joke. I got to think somewhere along the line, the guy's got to have a sense of humor. You know what I mean? It has has to be a joke, but I don't know. That's that's what I thought about the four by three aspect ratio, too. I don't know why I get that it's supposed to be an IMAX thing, but who the hell's going to an IMAX theater? Oh, my God. I, I don't. Know. I can't. Even, I don't get it. I can't. It doesn't even. Uh, on, and honestly, I don't even know how that makes sense, because it could have been larger. Like it does. Yeah. You know. The, I don't. I don't know. It's on the TV, dude. But um, there was you were t- you mentioned it there briefly. There was in that bar scene. There was one thing I really got annoyed. Is not the right word, but who when you're going into an important meeting, who doesn't silence their damn cell phone? <laughs> that Mike, really I think was, you said the same. Like, are you kidding? Yeah. Yeah. That was a little. But that's what I mean is like, you know, they still and that's why I, I think back to what DJ said, like, oh, it's kind of a family show. So I don't I still think family show is the right thing is that they still they still do kind of cliche superhero ish yeah. like they bring back. It's just like, OK, how about when they're firing their guns and then Sam and then Bucky is like, what are you doing over there? And he's like, I'm behind something just like in every action movie. Yeah. Right. Like that is what I mean. Like, I like that they make reference. They do things like that. And it's part of the plot. But then they also make fun of it, too. Yeah. So oh, yeah, that's always sure. been the charm of the MCU. And I, I think bringing that into the show was was um was funny but i think that um overall they did a pretty good job and all those scenes inside uh at Madripoor were pretty cool though i will have to say um when they did it was a little jarring cuz you see it all at night and then when they go to the meet um Nagel the um they're like near the dock and it's all bright outside. And for a second I was like, why are they in LA again? (laughs) It's a little, that was the only thing that kind of threw me. But, um, otherwise that, what, what else did we have? Is was there anything else that we, cause I think we kind of covered a lot of their journey in there. Um, Oh, Oh, the one thing, Oh, the one thing I wanted to talk about was, uh, with you guys is what, Zemo and a little bit of just backtracking and remembering that where he came from, what his motivations were, where you think he stands, why he's on this mission. Like just, I'd like to hear from you guys just a little bit of your Andy, if you don't mind starting out, what do you think of kind of like what his motivations are, what he's really doing there? Well, I, I've, I've had a, I've been trying to think about that since I finished it because it's, he's playing so, I mean, part of the time he's doing like this mustache twirling villain thing, which I think is an act, but I, I think he's still on the, I want to destroy the Avengers and destroy other people. I mean, destroy the spiritual thing. I think that's what his, I think his goals have changed since four. I mean, I don't. He's a big question mark for me. I I I like the stuff we had with him, but it was he he was because I watched Civil War recently, and this version of him is a lot different than the one we had in Civil War. I mean, this one's cracking jokes, and the other one, I mean, he was so serious in Civil War most of the time, and it was. I guess I don't have a 
I don't have a good idea of where they're go- where where his character is going. Besides the other, I mean, some of the other light reading that I've done is he's becomes a big time. He in some comics is a big time supervillain. I mean, maybe we'll just, he'll just turn into an even bigger villain. I don't know. I thought the I thought the thing with his him grabbing the mask and doing that little thing was uh, interesting. Yeah, I know his mask is a big thing in the comics. Right, like he became so, someone kind of. It had this kind of draw to him that was um, actually that reminded me that was almost like. DC-esque where it was like Batman looks at the cowl and has like all this psychological torment, you know, Mm -hmm. like he felt all the torment of losing his family and everything that happened to him um, when he puts that mask on and it was like he was being torn back and forth. I like what you said about how he acts like a different character. Because you're totally right. That was a little weird to me because I love the actor. So I accepted it. Yeah. You know, but thinking back and I watched some clips too, I was like, yeah, this was a really much more demented and maniacal character when we first got to know him. He had the dead guy in the bathroom for a while and all that stuff. Yeah. One of those two movies. I mean, stuff that was a lot more quiz. And this, he's more like a, a ultra rich European guy now, which is, seems a little different than what we had seen before. Because I had never, I'd never believed before. I mean, I was never led to believe he was an ultra wealthy guy. I mean, it still fits with what happens, but I never really got that idea from him in the original, original the first few times we saw him. So I don't, I'm not sure where they're going with him. Mm. And like I say, I love Daniel Bruhl too. He's an awesome actor. So I'm just fine with. It. I'm going with it. I, it doesn't bother me. It's just I don't have a handle on where his character is going. What do you think, Mike? Yeah, I, I'm I'm also kind of in the boat of I don't really know what their plan is. Uh, I, I do kind of still lean toward what we were saying last week about him kind of being like a Hannibal Lecter uh, kind of character. I still think that is on the board. But the only thing that bothers me, and, and this kind of ties in with what Andy said, is that none of this feels loyal to the character itself, even the previous versions of the character that we've seen. So, and I know like Baron Zemo is kind of like one of those, um, like I have a ridiculously long, complex, cool ass plan where it's like, you're not going to realize what I was planning on doing until it's already done 10 years from now or some shit like that. Like that's kind of how Baron Zemo operates. So like, this feels like it's either what we were saying, like him being Hannibal Lecter, which to me is not loyal to the character, or this is just part of some long con. And ultimately, at the end of the day, he's got some kind of fucking plan that we're not going to find out about until it's already successful. And what makes me lean toward that is the fact that he killed that scientist. And I don't know why he would do that. Um, like out of the blue, just like, yeah, boom, dead. And and he was and he came in there with that intention because they briefly show a shot of him searching underneath the table, uh, almost as if he knew that he not well. There's no almost because you don't just randomly go into rooms and search under tables for guns. He knew that there would be a gun there, or he was searching for pr- presumably a gun that was going to be there. So like he had some, he either had some knowledge that there was going to be a gun there, or at least 
acknowledge the possibility. And, you know, if I find it, I'm killing this guy. And Mm -hmm. what reason would he have to do that? He doesn't have one, especially if he just got out of prison. Like if we took everything at face value, he has no reason, but he did it. So there is a reason. We just don't know what it is. And that fits in with the Baron Zemo character. So I, I, that's why I've kind of like, he's probably still up to something, but I, I just really liked our Hannibal Lecter idea from last week. Yeah, it's really they, interesting. They even leaned into it at the beginning of this episode with him in the plexiglass thing. And right, like, wow. yeah. I mean, that, was, yeah. that was right out of Silence of the yes. Lamp. That was the first thing I thought of. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we didn't really even talk much about the breakout and the whole, t- uh, and I love that they pulled the whole um like oceans 13 thing where they talk about the plot as and then it's happening i love when they do that the the prison breakout was lots of fun i thought it was super cool i just like also what i'm enjoying in this show is i i i like when things happen off camera i like when something happens and then someone explains it or it just keeps that is a function of a lot of espionage action spy movies. They can't show you everything. And I think that this was really cool the way they decided to break him out like that and just have Sam totally not know what the hell was happening. And then he's there and then they're off. They're that, getting in uh, a plane. That you know? really reminded me of in uh, the Ant-Man movies with Michael Pena's oh, character. Nice. He does yep. those long, yep. long rambling things that are always really fun and Explain, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Some of the best scenes in the Ant Man movies, I think. But yeah, that was fun. You're right. That's a good. That's a good. Uh, like um, little homage to themselves there, Andy, and they do that as well within. The oh, different speaking films. of. Oh, uh, I'm sorry, Axel. Oh, go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, speaking of homage to themselves, uh, I really liked. Well, for one, I thought this episode had a uh, more humor than the previous two. Uh, it, starting with that scene, I thought that was funny how, you know, he presented it as like, let me tell you a hypothetical. He's like, what did you do? And then then they start cutting with like, you know, the prison breakout. I thought that was funny. But when you say paying homage to themselves, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if this was something that that resonated with you guys at the time you saw it. But when uh, when Sam gets in the car and says you're at the end, it says, you're not going to oh, move your seat up, are you? And he's uh, like, nope. like yep. that was paying homage to yourself to the fullest, because for me. With the, that, the scene that that's referencing was the moment where I was like, oh, these two got something special. Uh, mm-hmm. And and the fact that they referenced that, I don't think it's coincidence. I feel like no, they yeah, thought, definitely. too, at that time that these two got something special. Yep. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. yeah. And actually, and that was the scene with Sharon Carter when that yes. happened. Yeah. Yep. When and, Sharon and, and Steve were because they do the whole goofy look, smile thing after mm-hmm. they see him making out with Sharon. Yep. <laughs> and that is and actually um, Malcolm Spellman mentions that in one of the interviews oh. that that was kind of when they would think back that was like the impetus of kind of the their relationship and kind of the way they get along with each other and I think mm-hmm. it also plays into kind of Steve as like this kind of father figure in a sense you know a friend and 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 mentor um to them and then what role Sharon may play in it too. And maybe you guys are right. And it's going to be to break their hearts and, and be the power broker. But <laughs> I don't know. The power broker might be Zemo. Maybe Zemo's the power broker. And the reason he's doing this stuff, because I didn't get a chance to talk a little bit of, more about Zemo too. And I do think 
Um, I agree with you all. I think there's more going on here. And I agree with Andy, your initial reaction, which is, I think he still has the same uh, impetus, the, the, sa- the same reason for existing in this universe, which is to take them down because of the wrongs that were done to him. But there was a weird little scene here. And maybe I'm reading into things too much. But when all when the climax in the lab happened and they shot that rocket launcher into it and how they survived, that was crazy. I thought it was the whole lab. I was going to bring this up. I'm glad you brought this up. (laughs) The whole lab hidden inside the container units was awesome, too, because first of all, I love like houses built out of container units. I think that's cool. But I thought that was really neat and secretive and spy. But they keep on showing the vials vibrating, and then they show it twice, and it looks like one is missing. They show it vibrating. I thought some of them looked like they were steaming, too, like actually steaming out into the air. They were. Okay, that's another thing. I like that, too, Andy, is were they exposed to something in the air? That's what I'm wondering. Or did zemo steal some of the serum and i think in in marvel fashion of flipping everything and everybody is sometimes like you're saying like he's really playing kind of the loki role here right like where he's kind of jokey and then sometimes he can be an insane person who will kill you maybe he's maybe in relation to what andy said which is he later becomes a bigger villain Maybe they're going to have him. He's like, if you can't beat him, join him and become a super soldier himself or try to make his own again. Because you could see when he was doing when they were in front of Selby and he was like touching Bucky's face. And when he tried to give him the words when he first entered, he has this certain like addiction, maybe to controlling another person like that. And he kind of wants his little pet back. Even when he he says, I'll yep. give you him. He liked that feeling of control. So I definitely think, yeah, something else is going on with Zemo. Um, well, let's kind of wrap it up. We're getting to the end here. The last scene we have is Sharon goes off. She gets in. The, the woman opens the door for her. She, we don't know. She's still in Madripoor. Um we saw Carly go off after blowing up the building and then Bucky, Sam and Zemo are in up in the plane. And there is a nice little conversation where Sam and Bucky talk about Sam giving up the shield and they talk about stealing it again, which is like the third time they've talked about stealing the shield. Okay. Mm-hmm. So hint, hint, they might try to steal the shield, but but Sam says, I should have destroyed it. And I thought that that was an interesting point. What did you think about that, Mike? Because I thought that in a fast-paced episode, this is a return back to some of the themes we had in the first two episodes about Sam taking the shield. Yeah, no. The, the, I, I, I Full disclosure, I didn't think about it too deeply, but I did note the fact that he said I should have destroyed it because it, it – it's one of those things where like, you know, uh, look, look at all the uh, look at all, you know, what this thing has caused. Like, look, look, look at what all he, he's even said something like that to that effect, like yeah, uh, pain it, what's death, happened because yeah. of this hunk of metal or something like that. So um, the idea of destroying it, 
I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't really thought too much about that, to be honest. I, I'm. I don't know. I'm curious as to why he would feel that way, because uh, I kind of get the idea of not wanting to have it yourself. But the idea of destroying it, like, I, I don't know, it seems a little bit of a, a an overreaction to me. And it also seems like a very difficult task yeah. <laughs> to destroy it. But um, that's true. That's yeah, so man, uh, I, don't, I don't I don't have much to add, much to add to this part of the conversation. <laughs> Sorry. Did you have anything, Andy? Well, I don't think. I don't think they're going to destroy the shield, but I also still think that I think there's a very good chance that winter soldier ends up with the shield and not Bucky or not, not, excuse me, not Sam. Bucky, not Sam. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's that, what, I think that'll happen too. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think I can't remember if I sent it into you last week or not. I don't think you guys talked about it, but like there was a scene in last week's episode where Bucky jumps out of the plane and crashes and burns and crashes through all the trees and into the forest. Sam, or, Steve has done that three or four times in the movies where he jumps out with no parachute, yep. lands perfectly. I think that was a le- them legitimately telling us that Bucky is not ready for the shield, but he's trying to make himself worthy for the shield. And tonight, when, or in this episode, it talks about how the shield means so much to him and all. I think I, I have a sus- I, can, I still think it could go either way, but I think there's a strong chance that this whole series is about Bucky's redemption and being the guy that carries the shield. I, I could be completely wrong on that, but I just get these little things every once in a while that make me think that's a chance. I don't think they'll destroy it at all. Bucky yeah, gets I'm with you. Woke. I don't think that, I don't think they'll destroy it. And I also think that Bucky will probably end up with it. They both held, they've both been, you know, held it in the comics, but I, I do think that Bucky is, is probably going to end up with it. And I think that scene that you mentioned where he jumped out of the plane that like, I didn't think of this at the time. I only thought of it when you said it just now, but Steve has done that and landed on his shield in order to make sure that he stays safe. So, uh. Oh, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that too. And I kind of like that because I think I like the idea of Sam doing his own thing and creating something new. I'm a fan of that idea. And I think it seems to me that's what Sam desires he doesn't right like he didn't take the shield yeah. so and i yep. think that the thing about destroying it and questioning and all that i thought too that was a little bit of a stretch because it's a little i, I guess you know you see the shield as a symbol blah 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 but it's also like hey man you're in a sense also talking about whether or not you want to be a superhero right so Perhaps what Sam is coming to the the conclusion, destroying the shield is in a sense destroying the idea of being a superhero and then recreating it in a way that's comfortable for him, right? Not being a soldier, not being part of the military or not being part, not being associated with this, that, or the other thing, but being associated with what's important to him personally. And maybe that'll have Mm -hmm. a little bit more to do with where he comes from, um, his family, his sister, you know what I mean? Like there's a reason we got that stuff in the show. We got a little bit of his sister this episode too. We saw her very briefly. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of, I agree with you guys. I kind of hope Bucky takes the shield because I think it makes more sense too. like that was caps buddy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, that's Bucky, you know, like, and I yeah. really think Falcon and Sam is his own thing. And he really has to find himself within this universe and not be the second 
um, you know, sidekick. Yep. You know what I mean? And uh, there's also some out of out of show meta knowledge is that Sebastian Stan uh, auditioned for Steve Rogers and supposedly was crushed that he didn't get the role. Really? So that's even adds to a whole other layer of. Well, they made the right. That's, I choice. guess that's why he got Bucky. So yeah, they made the yeah. right. Great casting yeah. again, again. Um, Agree. All right, cool. And the end of the episode is they arrive in Latvia. We don't know why they're there. Zemo just says, I've got someone who can help us. To, then um, Bucky sees the little um, the little uh, Wakandan bead things. I don't remember what they're called. The little balls. And he meets up with, yep. I believe it's pronounced Io, right? Mm-hmm. I believe uh, so, yep. Which, who is the actress Florence Kasamba. And uh, she is Io, and she is there to kill Zemo because guess what? Zemo killed uh, the king. We all remember that, and and he tried mm-hmm. to blame it on Bucky. So they still have that connection there, and I I think it's cool that Bucky gets to have this little conversation. I hope we see more of it. Two questions for you. I'll hit you up, Mike. First, one: Do you know? Do you have any? Do you why do you think they're back in Latvia? Who do you think that Zemo was taking them to? And what did you think about Io showing up? Um, answer to question one: I have no fucking clue. Okay, um, I, I, I That's no acceptable. idea. Uh, the it, this is completely random, kind of like side note. I was kind of freaking out about it because another show that I watched uh, or that I've completed, uh, Gamora, has a a spinoff movie that they did that kind of covers the life of one of the characters on the show and the entire movie takes place, not just in Latvia, but specifically in Riga where they're at. I'm like, and I watched the movie the day before I watched that episode. So like, that was really weird for me to see Riga Latvia in two consecutive days in two entirely different properties. But uh, I have no idea who they're, who they're there to find. Uh, and I, I mean, obviously, we're not supposed to. I mean, they're, they're, you could probably guess if you have like some kind of crazy comic knowledge, but I don't. So I don't know who they're there to see. Um, and I was actually going to ask you guys what you thought about uh, Io being being there, because uh, just for one, you uh, again, just like Sharon in, in Madripoor, the Dora Milaje isn't just hanging out in Latvia. And it's like, oh, shit, Zemo's here. That tells me that they've been tracking Zemo ever since he got out of probably ever since he got out of the prison. So I'm, I'm curious as to, well, one, I thought that was kind of cool that they were there because I like what, because I like when they, uh, when they merge when they, and they did this with WandaVision, when they merge multiple properties into, into one thing. So like in WandaVision, when, uh, uh, Fuck, what's his name? Evan Peters showed up. Yeah. Pietro. I thought that was really cool. And then, you know, with the Wakanda, you know, being integrated into this, I thought that was really cool. But I'm more so curious as to now. This is now a new problem. Like, what 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 impact are they going to have on the story going forward when they're there to catch someone who two Avengers are using for help? Like, so are are they now going to butt heads with the Dora Milaje? Like, I I don't know, but um, I'm excited to see how that plays out. Cool. What do you think, Ando? 
Well, as far as Latvia, I'm the same way. I have no idea why they are there. I mean, didn't he said he had a place there, didn't he? Didn't Zemo say he had a place there that they were going to stay at or something? Yeah, but we've also seen, um, we've also saw Carly there too. Oh, that's right. That's where. So isn't that where that where the place with the yeah. big X on the door was? So what's oh, that's the, Lithuania? Sorry. Um, well, no, I think that was it. I think that's where she blew up the thing that yeah. earlier. So I think well, I don't, it's somewhere in no, Eastern that, or uh, Western Europe. I wrote it down. That, that's Lithuania. <laughs> okay, that, that's Lithuania. The okay, X was on the door. Okay, so I got. So I, I was. I, mean, I knew all these Eastern European countries. I knew I had to write it down because I would mess it up. They love them, man. <laughs> I think it's great the, too uh, because it's very cold work. The stuff with know. Wakanda. I kind of I just watching the episode. I thought that it might happen in this episode because there was a couple offhand references to Wakanda earlier episode, and then uh, I think as far as the like tracking him. I think how that actually happened was in that bar scene when, the, when winter soldier starts fucking people up, they, there's a, you see a whole bunch of uh, bar goers with their cell phone cameras out. Nice. Like we're it. Yes. So I'm guessing Wakanda with high tech stuff, monitoring all that stuff. And I'm sure they have Google alerts or whatever the hell they have. in yeah. Wakanda. They did a little and light I've, Googling I've, and they saw it. Yeah. That's why I'm assuming that's how they, that's how they found out. He was going to just took at the end of the episode to get I like there. That. I, uh, I do have a question for you guys, though. Do you think there's any chance? I looked up the filming dates, and it would be possible. Do you think Chadwick Boseman will show up in this? Nemo did kill his father. Ooh, I don't know, man. I think that we would have found I, out about that. I'm not ready for that. I don't know. I just thought it was a cool idea. I thought it was a cool idea. No, it is a cool I, idea. I would, I'm like, I'd fucking die if that happened. Like, I just, yeah. I just like collapse in my chair. Well, like, Andy, oh Andy brings up a I good up point. The filming bits and they, fi- they finished most of filming in yep. March of 2020, and he died in September. They came yeah. back into, or he died in August. Excuse me. They finished a little bit after he died, but most of filming was completed in March. So, yeah. well, you bring up a good point. <laughs> I just is keep that... thinking, it, it, it would, might seem cheap, but I'm, he killed his dad. Why wouldn't he go? And he's got the most badass outfit. I mean, he could do it. Why wouldn't he come himself? Yeah. But well, they, maybe he's busy. I don't know. I just thought it would be a, it's a cool little thing if it would happen. <laughs> they did shoot, and this was supposed to air before WandaVision originally. Mm-hmm. That yep. was the original plan. So you're right about that. My only thing, Andy, is that I just don't feel like they could have ever kept that under wraps. You know? Probably I, not. I, 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 and if, but, yeah, it, I mean... It is Disney. They kept Mark Hamill under wraps. I was just about to say that they kept Mark Hamill under wraps, so they can yeah. do anything. <laughs> hey, it would be. It would totally make sense, buddy. It would totally and, and completely Yoda. make sense. Yeah. Um. And oh, I'm not. I'm not thinking it happened. I just thought it was a fun thing to think about. <laughs> I that would be pretty cool, man. Well, you heard it here first, people. That would that should <laughs> that should be the title of your youth the YouTube video, Mike. You'll get more. Like yeah. breaking news, Chadwick yeah. Boseman yeah. is in Chadwick next Bose week's episode. Yeah. <laughs> I might do something like right? that, man. Do it, dude. Do it. We'll, we'll end up on like some website people making fun of us. These fools tricked <laughs> yeah. everybody. Well, what else is new? Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's wrap it up there. This has been great. I, I, I mean, I, I have no idea why they're there. I thought it might be connected to Carly, but I, I got the, my Eastern European countries mixed up. Um, I think having an opposition to, to, um, Zemo show up is a, is a good thing for the plot because I think it heightens the tension and it reminds us again of how dangerous he is and the things he did in the past, 
which again, I think this episode kind of glossed over, but that was okay because it was fun. Um, but I think that's cool. I look forward to next week's episode. We're going to have Delvin is going to come on with us and talk about next week's episode. I want to thank Andy for coming on. I want to thank everybody who gave us feedback. Andy, do you have any final words for us, my friend? Um, not really. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm enjoying the season. I can't wait to hear the rest of your guys' show and watch the rest of your guys' shows for the season. Nice. Mike, any final words? Uh, nope. Chadwick Bozeman, episode four. I'm totally on board. <laughs> there we go, I'm baby. Totally, now, like, like I can't unhype myself yep. now. Like, yep. not, like this is happening in my head, and now I can't. I can't be like, Sorry, Mike. Oh, like, like I'm watching for Chadwick Boseman now in yep. these last three episodes and he's probably not going to show up and I'm going to sit there the whole time. Like, Oh, this is where he's going to show up. Oh, here comes my Panther. Like, it's not going to happen. Yep. It's happening. But, uh, you breaking news, myself, people. So you heard it here first. Kevin Feige. Oh, wait a second. I just got a call. Hold on. <laughs> what? Yeah. Oh, wait, what? Oh, Kevin. Okay. I'll, all right, I'll announce it. All right, we can safely announce that Chadwick Boseman will be appearing on Falcon and Winter Soldier here on this YouTube and podcast channel of people who don't know anybody in the Marvel business. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you all for downloading. Subscribe, like this video on one mic. Give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or pod app catcher thing whatever you do you all are wonderful and amazing thank you andy for your time you made it baby you made it through the podcast he had his second shot through (laughs) you're a vaccinated man i'm getting vaccinated soon we're gonna be a fully vaccinated podcast soon enough we'll catch you next time for episode four of falcon and winter soldier peace out peace congrats glenn That's all. Bye. That was awesome, guys. Today's deep dive into Falcon and Winter Soldier is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Cufflinks.com. Head on over to Cufflinks.com slash DVR for all your men's apparel needs, baby. They've got cufflinks. They've got tie bars. They've got pins. They've got ties, socks, All the awesome stuff that you need to look good when you step out your door in the morning or when you turn on that computer and you're on Zoom. Because let's face it, people, you still got to look good. Come on. Enough with the bedhead. We're a year in. The light is at the end of the tunnel. We got to start thinking about the future, people. Looking good out there in public. So head on over to cufflinks.com now. Use code DVR20 and save 20% off your order. No minimum. Go to cufflinks.com slash DVR today. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.